Just want to say hello and welcome back to you guys that haven't been here for a while. It's cool seeing you guys. I know some of you guys have been at uh, like marching band and stuff, so it's good seeing you guys. Um, what I want to do tonight is just kind of, well, first of all, I just want to start our time in prayer. Um, and then we are going to enter into the book of 1 Corinthians, looking at chapter 9. So if you guys would, just turn there. But before we get into the text, I just want to open our time together in prayer. So will you guys pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we give you thanks. We give you thanks for being a God who is faithful, who loves us in spite of us, and show that love through your Son, Jesus Christ, who paid the price for sin, who regardless of our backgrounds, regardless of whatever it is we have done, we can come before you and you would accept us. I pray that as we enter into your text today, Father God, it won't be me speaking, but you speaking. And that, Father God, you would show us, Lord, that the good news of Jesus Christ is greater than all things. So into your hands we commit our hearts to you and we ask that you would have your way in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, so we're back in the First Corinthians series. Um, for those of you guys that weren't here for the last couple of weeks or so, uh, so it's kind of funny because I feel like some of you guys that haven't been here for like a couple of weeks, you remember you remember us being in like First Corinthians six. Yeah, we haven't gone far at all, but um, yeah, we're back in the series. We were taking a break for a few weeks, and now we're back. And to summarize First Corinthians for some of you guys that weren't here. Um, Paul, the author, is writing to a church um, in a city called Corinth. This is in Greece. And in this letter, Paul is addressing a church that has seemed to have lost its footing. There are quarrels. Um, people are doing immoral things that even like, unbelievers are saying, this is wrong. right? They are, um, there are divisions in the church. Believers are suing brothers and sisters in court instead of actually handling in church in love and in truth. And here we have Paul. He's writing to, this letter, to, this, to the Corinthians, and instead of disowning him, which, to be honest, if I was the one who, who founded this church, I would definitely disown him. But instead of disowning him, Paul, rather, in truth and in love, he tries to point them back to the foundation of their belief, Jesus, the author and finisher of their faith. So as we continue to walk through Paul's letter, to the Corinthians, we remember from last week in chapter 8, we were in chapter 8 last week, that as believers, we are to love our brothers and not our rights. And uh, our intern, Keith, he had mentioned that believers are to deny themselves and love their brothers. So one of my favorite Disney movies is a movie called The Emperor's New Groove. I don't know if any of you guys heard about this because you guys probably weren't burned yet, but... <laughs> Uh, it's Emperor's New Groove, and it's a story about a selfish emperor who, after being transformed into a llama, loses his kingdom and is forced to befriend a peasant. And in the end, he almost risks his entire life, his entire chance of becoming a human again for the sake of his newfound friend. And in a split moment, Emperor Cusco, his name is Cusco, uh, you should watch it, 
Emperor Cusco <laughs> makes a decision to deny everything he wanted for the sake of his friend. And in this letter, Paul has shown us in chapter 8 that he is willing to put aside rights, even as something as simple to us as meat, for the sake of loving his brothers in Christ Jesus. We ultimately see this done through Jesus himself, who gave up perfect heaven to come down to imperfect earth to accomplish his will for the Father and for us. Right? And today, as we continue on this topic of rights, Paul is going to push us further into what these rights look like and how much more valuable the gospel is in light of these rights. And so let's look at chapter 9, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And for context, what I'm going to do is actually uh, back up a verse and we're going to look at, we're going to start at chapter 8, verse 13. Uh, so if you could follow along with me, it says this, Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. And Paul continues in chapter 9. He says, Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take on a believing wife, as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or is it just only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? For it was written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Is it for oxen that God is concerned? Does he only speak for our sake? <clears throat> it was written for our sake, because the plowman should plow in hope and thresher thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do we do not we even more? Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple, and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. But I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. For I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. For necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel." For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I am still entrusted with a stewardship. What then is my reward? That in my preaching, I may present the gospel free of charge, so as to not make full use of my right in the gospel. So that was a big passage, but we're going to break it down tonight. And here... We see Paul addressing a church 
where salaried, salaried ministers, so ministers being paid for, or that are getting paid by the church, have been so focused on their rights in the gospel that the, the, the gospel itself has been belittled and it has lost, or maybe it's even lost its effectiveness entirely. And, and this mentality not only is happening in the lives of those that are sharing the good news, but it's happening to the whole Corinthian church. And so what Paul is trying to show here is that what truly matters isn't so much your rights, but the gospel of Christ. And this has something to, and Paul is sharing something with us today as well. And so the main point that I want you guys to take from tonight's message is this. Consider the worth of the gospel greater than any other worth, namely our worldly freedoms and privileges. So what does this look like for us? I want us to look at two ways this can look. And the first is this, consider your rights less. Consider your rights less. And the first part to this means put your rights in perspective. So as we look at last week's message by Keith, Paul finishes chapter 8 with this idea of surrendering the rights he has. So we look at verse 13 of chapter 8. He says, Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. But we see in, verse, in chapter 9 that Paul is in fact just getting started about this conversation about rights. And this, just a disclaimer, I'm going to use the word rights a lot. I'm also going to use Paul's name a lot. And I'm also going to use gospel a lot. So just deal with it, okay? So... Paul opens up in chapter 9, verses 1 and 2, and he has this idea, he has an idea of what the Corinthians are probably thinking of at this point. Here, they are receiving a letter from this guy, and they don't even know what to think of him. It's like, is he a minister or is he not? He surely does not act like the ministers we know of, and, and quite frankly, he's doing stuff that is totally unnecessary and pretty ridiculous. For the Corinthians... Paul should not only be getting money from the church, but probably many other rights and privileges too. But he begins in verse 1, and look again at verse 1 with me. He says, am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my workmanship in the Lord? He's stating four things here, if you see it. And in these four things, he's saying that he has, in fact, every right to all these claims, to get everything. He talks about his freedom in Christ Jesus from sin and from death. He talks about being an apostle, a minister, and not just any Randall guy. He's, he's actually somebody considered a huge contributor to the church. And he has seen the Lord Jesus himself. So I don't know about you guys, but if Paul was to show up here, I'd pay plenty of money to see him, right? This is a big deal. But he goes on in verse 2. He says this, if to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. What comes to your mind when you guys think about seal? I'm not talking about the animal. But to me, what comes to my mind is a seal of approval. And a seal of approval shows like authenticity as a leader, like a stamp of approval, right? It, it shows the world like, look, this is actually legit. And so Paul, for a little background information, Paul is the one who founded the Corinthian church. And he is the reason the Corinthians had faith in the first place. He is telling, probably reminding the Corinthians that of who he was by calling him, them his seal of apostleship. 
is marked, the literal fruit of his work in Christ Jesus. He's kind of showing them who's boss here. But this is all a part of Paul's intention. He's building up an argument, a point here, to show that all of these rights, everything that he should get, means nothing, ultimately. They cannot even compare to knowing Christ and Him crucified. And throughout his letter, we see this echoed. Chapter 1, verse 17 says, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. And not with words with eloquent wisdom, not with smart talk, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. You see how simple that is? Chapter 2, verse 2, he says, For I decided to know nothing among you except Christ and Him crucified. Nothing except two things, Christ and Him crucified. So we see Paul constantly echoing this throughout his letters. And Paul wants the Corinthians and us to know that the rights we have as believers, whatever it is it may be, are to be considered nothing in light of what the gospel is. So Paul begins this chapter setting the stage for who he is to the Corinthians. And he will further explain his rights and further build up his arguments. And we'll see this more in the next subpoint, which is forsake what's good for something greater. Forsake what's good for something greater. So Paul now begins a series of rhetorical questions. He started this in the first verse of this chapter, but what we will see throughout most of this chapter are a series of questions that are going to help build Paul's argument. In verse 3, Paul seems to be addressing a specific crowd. He says this. He says, This is my defense to those who would examine me. We kind of touched on this in the first point, but these are people who were seeing Paul's actions as ridiculous. Paul is a coward. Here's a man who would choose to eat meat with us, but he would just be, he would quietly and timidly not choose to eat meat in front of other people. Like, what is this guy doing? See, Paul had the look of weakness in their eyes, but this was in fact a sign of meekness, a sign of self-control, a sign of submissiveness. It wasn't weakness. Paul had the power and rights to do everything and anything, but chose not to for a greater purpose. He explains these rights in detail in verses 4 to 6. If you read with me, it says, Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take on a believing wife? as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? So Paul explains the right. He knows these rights. And if he wasn't clear there, he goes on and makes more like clear-cut examples. In verse 7, he says, Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? I don't know any soldier that goes out into the battlefield and doesn't get paid for it, right? Neither do you, I'm pretty sure. Or who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Like, this is pretty common sense right here. You get paid for what you do. And so, even though Paul is building up his argument here, understand that what Paul is also showing here is that his labor is not actually for, uh, he's not working for the Corinthians. Rather, he is considering his labor as strictly work for the purpose of the gospel for the sake of Jesus Christ. He had done a lot of work for the Corinthians, but he chose not to benefit from them and take advantage of what he had. He goes on in verses 8 to 10. 
He says, do I say these things on human authority? Is he just say, blabbering this out of his mouth? Well, no. He continues, he says, does not the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses. He's going back to the Old Testament now. You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Is it for oxen that God is concerned? Does he not certainly speak for our sake? It was written for our sake, because the plowman should plow in hope, and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. So simply stated, what, what all that was just saying is this. Even in the Old Testament, the law of Moses, it is commanded that those who labor for whatever it is they do should receive payment for whatever it is that may be. So the more work you do, the more you get. But he continues. Look again, chapter uh, verse 11. He says, if we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do not we even more. And I'm going to stop at that part of verse 12. But if this is the case, that Paul has given these reasons why he should be paid, then the readers of the Corinthian church would have caught on to something and recognized, okay, not only do we owe him all the money in the world, we owe him our entire lives. But look at what Paul does in the second part of verse 12. He says, nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. So we see from this verse that the gospel is what truly matters to Paul. And he has chosen to put aside all his rights because to him Jesus is better. He has submitted his life to the cause of Christ. And see, the gospel of Jesus Christ is a free gift from God. This was the gift that Paul had received. And Jesus, the Son of God, saw it fit to lay down his divine rights and privileges to come to this broken earth, to live a perfect life that none of us could have lived but were required to live, to die a death that we all deserve, taking on the wrath of God that we all deserve and we were all subject to because of sin. And then he rose from the grave to show that he had power over death. And that anyone who believes in him, anyone, would be eternally, would never be eternally separated from the God, would never experience eternal death. And why did Jesus do this? Not because he thought it was we were nice people to hang out with, just in case we weren't <laughs> sure. But he didn't do it for that reason. He didn't do it because. He thought it would be good for us to know good ways to live good lives. No, 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 no. Guys, we were in danger, all of us. And the only way we could have gotten out of that danger was through somebody paying a penalty for us. And Jesus came from heaven to earth, putting aside his God-given rights to pay that penalty so that we can be united with him forever. Tell me, guys, what kind of love is this? It could be nothing short but the perfect love that God has for each and every one of us, for me and for you. And I believe that something as great as this is worth laying down everything for. And I hope for you guys, for you high schoolers, that this is true too. Is Jesus better? Is he better than the rights that you guys have as teenagers? And some of you guys are probably like, what kind of rights do I have? Like, what kind of 
chores I got to do first or something like that. But the rights I'm talking about, and I believe that Paul is talking about here, isn't material rights. But rather, it's the rights on who you choose to love and how you choose to love them. Relational rights. Forsaking your comfort zone, for example, when you, are, when you have the right to hang out with people that you want to hang out with or to do the things that you want to do. To put them aside maybe some of the time, maybe all the time, to reach out and befriend those who are different and who share this different values and interests than you. To consider yourself better, lesser, not better than them because you're allowed to do something that they can't, but rather to consider yourself like them and learn from them. And guys, this doesn't even have to only happen at school, but this can happen right here on a Friday night. And not only this, but this can also take the form of respect, the, the right to be respected. And you guys do have the right to be respected, and I hope you see that from us as leaders to you guys. But listen here, Christ and Paul put aside their right to be respected, and because of that, the gospel was made known. And high schoolers, are you willing to forsake your right to respect and choose to love and respect others regardless of their response? And I'm not telling you guys to become doormats to allow anybody and everybody to walk over you. In extreme cases, you, you make necessary precautions. You, you guard yourself. You tell trusted people in, in certain situations. And Paul did that. He did that in 2 Timothy 4, but... What I'm saying is this, if losing respect, your friends, comforts, if they allow for greater gospel opportunities, it is worth it. It is. So Paul, as we see here, was motivated by a others-focused generosity. If we are compelled by the love of Christ, students, we should be motivated in the same way too. So Paul could have very well taken their money. He could have taken on a wife and done what all the apost other apostles did. But as we see in verse 12, that he would rather not take on these things and make an obstacle in the way of the gospel. For the Corinthians, there, that was their obstacle. Put it, so Paul put aside all these things to show his love for them. And guys, we should have this kind of attitude as well. I'm not telling you guys to remain single for the rest of your life and to become a full-time missionary like Paul was, though that might be the case for some of you guys in the future. I'm not to tell. So, But what I'm saying is that your attitude toward the gospel should be that of Paul's, that when called to the task, you would lay aside everything for its sake. So are rights wrong? Well, no. Rights are good things. They're gifts from God. But if the gospel of God is ever compromised because of the gifts of God, then there's a problem. This was the Corinthians' problem. For the state of the church, their love for each other had seemed to dwindle. And their treasure had seemed to be misplaced. Paul wants to redirect them to the center most important thing for the believer, a love for God and a love for others. But the Corinthians, the rights to eat whatever they wanted, to live however they wanted, regardless of their brothers, that had taken center most importance. 
And guys, we're not too far off from them sometimes. Whether you realize it or not, we have many rights and privileges here in the South Bay. And so often we can look like the Corinthians as well. We can allow our rights and our privileges to become greater than the greatest gift. So would you reconsider the treasure and value of the gospel of Christ and him crucified? In Matthew 13, 44 and 46, if you guys can turn there with me. In this part of Matthew, Jesus is sharing a number of parables. And these two, he's sharing two parables in these verses. And they are the parable of the hidden treasure and the parable of the pearl of great value. And I'm going to read them both. It says this, verse 34. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. So what would make these people do something as ridiculous as sell everything they had for one thing? Clearly, the value of this one thing was far greater than the value of everything else worth selling everything for. That's what Paul saw. That's what Christ ultimately did on the cross for us. And students, do you see the value of Jesus Christ and his coming kingdom? Do you see the value as a great pearl? Do you see the value? And not only that, but is it worth putting aside everything that will be an obstacle to it, if that's what it means? So now that Paul has made his point, he has set the stage for the Corinthians and for us to consider the greatest thing, which he goes into, which goes into my second and final point, which is to consider the gospel more. And part of that means see the gospel for what it is. So what Paul is doing here, he's leaving his best for last. He spent the last 11 ver verses arguing his point, but he doesn't Stop there. He goes right back to it. Look again at verses 13 and 14 with me. He says, Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple, and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? In the same way, the Lord command that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. Okay, Paul, we get it. You deserve to get paid. Chill. But hold on, look at what he's doing here. So he's shown his personal reasons why he should get paid, receive funds. He also gives reasons from the Old Testament. But now commentators believe that what Paul is addressing here is the words of Jesus in Luke chapter 10, verse 7, when he sends out the 72 followers. So he's given his personal reasons. He's shown proof from the Old Testament. He's using, he's using Jesus as an example. And by this time, the Corinthians are probably ready to give not only all their money away, but they probably reach a point where they're totally lost. What should we do? Now, Paul has them right where he wants them. Now, he has built his case for the beauty of the gospel and its eternal worth. Have you guys ever heard the phrase, you don't know a good thing until it's gone? 
pretty sure you guys have heard it. Have you guys, for example, ever experienced not having hot water to, to shower with? It sucks, right? And I'm pretty sure for some of you guys that went on the Mexico trip earlier this summer, you guys couldn't shower at all, right? And I bet you that the moment you got back into a hot shower, it was the, mo it was the most beautiful thing in the world, right? See, the beauty and the delight of the gospel had become dull and gray to the Corinthian church. And here Paul is showing them this beauty again. And students, if we are not carefully reminding ourselves of gospel truth, how we are so undeserving of love, yet have been eternally purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ, if we are not mindful of this, we will become mindless about it. It will simply become something that we know is good news or something that is just good for us or something that's been belittled to, as a set of rules. And for some of you guys in the room tonight, you've heard this spiel a thousand times. But as someone who cares for your eternal state, do not miss this. The gospel is relevant tonight as it was the first time you heard it and the first time you believed it. The message hasn't changed, but my question is, has your attitude changed towards it? And for some of you guys who are unbelievers in the room, the gospel message is hard, but it is simple. It tears down any pride we have of ourselves and leaves us naked before our Creator God. And I pray and hope that you will see this gift offered to you tonight, that you will not miss out on eternal life. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ and what he did for you on the cross, and if you turn from your self-centered lifestyle to one for him and for others, guys, the, the gift is yours. The free gift is yours. See, the gospel is so much more than a set of rules. It's so much more than just a good story. It is the best news a person can ever know. But it can only be best news if you know the danger of the bad news. Eternally separated from our Creator, deserving of wrath and destruction. Knowing that this broken world will be the best thing we will ever experience if we are not in Christ. So I challenge you guys. This gospel news allows us to be free, free from sin, free from wrath. But it also calls us to put aside everything and count it as loss. It means to be sold out to it. It means to be a slave to it. And now some of you guys, you might hear this and it doesn't sound attractive. But listen to what Paul says in Romans 6, verses 20 to 22. He says this, For when you were slaves of sin, and just to give you guys fair warning, we have been slaves all along. <laughs> this isn't new. We have always been slaves. But for when you were slaves to sin, you were free in regard to righteousness, separated from it. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed of? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have, allowed, and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and in its end, eternal life. 
I heard someone call this going from slavery to slavery. See, guys, if you are not a slave to Christ and his gospel, which leads to eternal life, you guys are slaved to something else, sin, which leads to eternal death. So my question for you guys is this. Which slave will you choose to be? Which cost will you consider following? And as you consider these questions, we will now look at our last point, which is this. Find freedom in the free eternal gift. So Paul has set up such a big argument, a big point for his rights. Just to lay them all down for the sake of the gospel. Read verse 15 with me. He says, But I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. For I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. What Paul is saying here really is just a repeat of what he was saying in verse 12. In this verse, however, you see, you feel the emotion in which Paul is driving it. He's saying he'd rather die than have anyone deprive him of his ground for boasting. But what is he talking about right here? I think a commentator translates this a little more clearly. He says, For it is better for me to die than to take anything from you. Talking to the Corinthian church. He is talking about receiving funds from them and the potential for him to start boasting of his accomplishments and what he did and his financial proof. Keep in mind, guys, that Paul is human. <laughs> I think sometimes we can forget that. I think I forgot that before. But Paul is a human being just like us. And he knew that by him receiving funds, it not only would it puff him up and be, make him become proud, it would also not benefit the Corinthian church in their spiritual state. So look at the last part of verse 16 again. He says this. He says, For I would rather, sorry, he says, Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. See, in this part of the text, Paul is bringing up a new concept to this idea of being a slave, but slavery as stewardship. So now that he is a slave to the gospel, he has, given, he has been given a burden to share the good news. And that's what he says, necessity is laid on him. The gospel has been given to him as a steward, or as a stewardship for him to use. And that's why for him, it is better to choose the lesser option, to, to, low, to work a low-paying job, and to live off of what he has, and to preach the good news. And by the way, do you guys know what the gospel brought Paul? It hasn't given him wealth. It hasn't given him health. It hasn't given him anything good in this world to be happy about. Guys, it brought him persecution. And yet, read, or, and yet he says in verse 16, Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. When Paul says woe to me, it is not as if he is being forced against his will. But rather, he, is, he sees proclaiming the gospel as an obligation he has gladly taken on because of his divine calling. Because he has accepted the good news for his own, he has now subjected himself to the will of God. Which for him meant preaching the good news without free of charge. So Paul continues in verse 17. He continues this image of slavery. He says this. He says, for 
If I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I am still entrusted with a stewardship. To those who Paul is addressing, who are being paid to preach, they were doing so out of personal ambition, what they can gain from it. Paul, is here, Paul isn't here saying, oh, look how great I am. I'm a follower of God and I'm on his mission. And guys, honestly, like even for me, that can be a temptation that I have to constantly repent of. But rather, what Paul is saying here is that by the grace of God, he is compelled to do what he is doing, preaching the good news. And guys, let me just tell you straight, the gospel is unattractive, but it's also attractive. It's unattractively attractive. It is foolish to many, but it is invaluable to others. May you guys be the others, those who see the worth of following Christ as worth the cost, as worth being enslaved to, as worth everything. And as I warned you guys before, if you guys are not sold out to the gospel, you're sold out to something else. You're sold out to sin, and nothing good will ultimately come from it. Look at verse 18 with me, our final verse. It says this, What then is my reward? That in preaching I may present the gospel free of charge so as not to make use or to not make full use of my right in the gospel. I love what one commentator wrote. He says this, Paul's Paul's reward is that he preaches freely a free gospel that sets people free. And all this to say, I should probably let you guys know that Paul was actually getting paid by a church elsewhere. Like he was actually getting paid for what he was doing. But to take from a church that was not doing well spiritually, he would have been acting out of selfishness and he would have been acting not out of love. But by Paul freely giving them and others this free gospel, he is in fact illustrating what the gospel is in and of itself, a free gift. And also while I'm at it, I'm just going to make it confession time. Even though I just spent about 30, 40 minutes talking about rights, rights isn't really the point of tonight's text. But before you guys walk out of here, I want you guys to understand that the question isn't really about someone's rights to do this or to do that. But the question really is about Are these rights important? If you see the gospel as necessary for fill in the blank, whatever it is it may mean for you guys, you should gladly lay it down for the sake of others. As believers, we are to discipline ourselves for the work at hand, even if that means putting aside anything that gets in its way. The Christian life is a life of discipline. I assume you guys, for one reason or another, you guys are disciplining yourself. Whether that's in studies, whether that's in sports, whether that's in gaming. But whatever it is, whatever it is you guys are disciplining yourself is, my question for you guys is, how much are you disciplining yourselves in the Christian faith? And I won't go into that too much because that's Eric's portion for next week. But I warn you guys, do not become a Christian couch potato because that doesn't exist. (laughs) But 
I want you guys to continue to grow in your love for your Savior and forsaking the things of the world and forsaking the things around us so that we can love those around us. See, love triumphs liberties. Christ exemplified it. Paul wrote about it. And guys, we are to imitate it. Who are the weak and lowly in your circles as you think about the people that you're usually around? Remember, you guys were weak and lowly too. And Christ saw you and he loved you and he called you his friend. Will you be compelled to do the same? As we close our time off, uh, I have a friend in the school that I just graduated in. And wait, did it drop? Oh, we're good. Um, yeah, so I have a friend back in school. Her name is Hope, and she's from Uganda. And it's actually pretty crazy, but there's some people here at Lighthouse that, village, that visited her village in Uganda. So we all have mutual friends. It's pretty crazy. But the other day, she made a birthday post on Facebook. And it was for her adopted mom. And in the post, she says this. It was many years back when God decided it was time for the young Colombian believer to move from her comfortable place in Florida to a village in Uganda. And I'm very happy she chose to listen to him because it wasn't long after that she became the mom and caretaker to many children, including myself and my now sisters and brothers. When I, what I take from this is that Hope's mom saw a value in the gospel that was far greater than anything else. And she had the rights and freedoms to stay in Florida, to, to get married, to have a godly marriage. And these are good things. But if she did not choose to follow that calling, Hope and her siblings probably would never have heard the gospel. They would never have had the opportunity to grow in her faith, to come to America and to study at a Christian university. And I'm not guilt-tripping you guys to, to go to Africa and to become a missionary. Though, again, God could very well call you to that. But what I want you guys to see here is very much what Paul is addressing in this chapter. To lay aside all rights for the sake of the gospel. So are our rights really important? Should they be really important? According to Paul, well, no, not at all. Some of your parents, they, they sacrificed a lot so that you guys could be sitting right here, hearing the message of this free gift of salvation. A lot of your leaders here have done the same thing. If you, if you talk to us and hear our stories. See, we saw it, the gospel. We saw the gospel message as invaluable compared to everything else. And because of that, we chose to steward this gracious gift. May you high schoolers see the gospel as something that is infinitely greater than anything else this world can offer. Because that's exactly what it is. Let's pray. Father God, we acknowledge that so often, more than not, the gospel does not look as good as it seems. We do not place it in the value and its immeasurable value. So, Father God, I pray that tonight, Lord, as we search our own hearts, that we look at any of our rights, any of our privileges, and consider them nothing 
compared to the worth of knowing you. So, Lord, I pray that you would be with us as we have discussion, and that, Lord, you would just lead us into a greater love for you and a greater love for others, one that forsakes everything, every right, to pursue you. So we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.